a science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they I felt, felt right. I was so and I just thought, well, I figured it, out. it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. everyone, welcome to The Story Collider, where true personal stories about science help us to discover how weird and wonderful it is to exist in this world and be a human. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and we started 2024 with a show about life and death, and we got some amazing feedback on that show, and we're not stopping. This week, it's stories about personal experiences with psychedelics. There are a million things I love about this week's storytellers and their stories, But maybe the best way to sum it up is I appreciate the ways they opened my thinking. Every week is special, and this one is no exception. First up, Michael Tchaikovsky. Michael is an origami physicist, fashion redesigner, experimental science communicator, and amateur bicycle pilot. They are also the director of advocacy at Science for Georgia. Their story was recorded at our go-to spot in Atlanta, Waller's Coffee Shop, and their story is like something out of a movie. You're going to love it. Here's Michael. Okay, this is this is a high octane story, so you know, buckle up or whatever. Um, so I'm lucky in one particular way, uh, in that I was born in Buffalo, New York, uh, the land of plenty. Um, nobody calls Buffalo, New York, the land of plenty, but we do call it the city of good neighbors, uh, because that's, that's true. Uh, people from Buffalo that I've met have all been warm, uh, welcoming and really kind. And as a result of this, um, I'm still friends with like 25 people that I've collected over the years through high school, uh, and into college. And these people are all friends with each other. Uh, and I've come to learn that apparently this is kind of rare. I don't know. Um, but also, uh, you might not be able to guess from looking at me now, but, uh, I grew up a bro. Okay. I was raised by bros. Uh, I didn't always have all of these friends, uh, around me. I actually struggled for a while to have any friends and to socialize with people. Uh, and so when the bros took me in and took me under their wing, uh, I adapted. You know, I uh, I connected with them. And like so many teenagers before me, uh, I found a sense of identity in partying. <laughs> and this this partying, it followed me uh, to grad school uh, at Syracuse University. I uh, studied physics, which was great. Doesn't mix great with partying, but it turned out OK. And halfway through this grad school experience, I was invited to a summer reunion of my friends. Uh, We were gonna go off to a cabin and hang out for a whole weekend. This is something I think we've all come to, you know, understand at this point. Um, And so at the time of this story, I am late to the summer reunion. Uh, I'm a day late because I have spent all night uh, doing coke and partying with the architecture kids and climbing academic buildings. And so I'm on about two hours of couch sleep and I'm driving down Highway 81 in my recently deceased 1999 Subaru Outback Sport. Uh, if anyone wants to buy it, this is not a joke. <laughs> I need to get rid of this car. Um, and I get a text message as I'm driving down the road. I get a, a message that says, 
hey, can you pick up some bee killer stuff? Max is allergic to bees, and there's a wasp nest here. Um, and there's no EpiPen. And so I'm like, no problem. I stop. I pick up some bee stuff. Handled. And I get another text that says, hurry up. We're waiting for you to do the acid. <laughs> sure. Fine. I can just drive faster. So I use my foot harder and I drive faster. I'm going through the Catskill Mountains. And um, this is not a story of a car crash. Uh, I arrived perfectly fine at this reunion. Uh, and I immediately start to make just vivid memories. Um, I see my friends Pedro and Mike and Peter floating in a lake. Uh, I see this, this like rolling green lawn going up to this porch where the rest of our friends are. It's like the sun is shining down on us on this beautiful blue sky summer day. Um, you know, amazing. Uh, so we hug and we all say hi and then we, you know, we do acid. Uh, and so I did a half a tab of acid. So for the people who haven't done acid, who don't do this, that means that I will be in control of myself. I'm not going to lose touch with reality, but I am going to rediscover the world around me as though an infant, um, maybe like a kind of smarter than an infant, but still. Uh, and so we, you know, we do that. We have this really beautiful day, you know, frolicking and we're floating in a lake and we're exploring, um, doing all these, oh no, uh, doing all these different things. Uh, at some point, I think I, I emailed my advisors, um, which I don't know why I did that, but I look back and it was actually, it was like a pretty good email that I wrote. Uh, and I mean, I buried the hatchet with a friend who had wronged me. We reconciled. That was a beautiful thing. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, let's, let's call him tree, uh, in contrast was laying, uh, face down on the ground, staring into the earth. We could tell his eyes were open and apparently he could see through in ways that none of us could, um, because tree had done too much acid. But this day, you know, it runs its course. We have our fun, you know, the acid wears off and, uh, we go inside and we find that our friend Laura has been slow cooking pulled pork all day. Amazing. So I sit down and I grab a sandwich and I have my first bite of food in 20 hours. And I immediately start to feel pain. I feel heartburn. And I do a trick that usually works. I hold my breath. Sometimes I can short circuit the heartburn and get by it by holding my breath for a second. This doesn't work. It's getting worse. And I remember that somebody had told me that gas X helps with heartburn. So I run upstairs, I grab a gas X, I chew it up. I try to swallow it. It doesn't really go down all the way. It just kind of turns into a chalky mess and the heartburn is getting worse. And so I run into the bathroom. I try to drink water. I get a little bit of water down. It helps a little bit. Uh, I try to vomit. I can't vomit. I try harder. I vomit. And a piece of meat, a ball, a chunk of meat comes out of me and lands in the toilet. And for somebody who's never seen a human organ in real life before, um, I wondered for a second if I had just thrown up my heart out of my mouth. 
Um, and so I waited, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Was, okay, I think I would know. Things would be getting like really bad right now. But, but things aren't getting better though. They're continually getting worse. And now I try to drink water and there isn't room for the water to go down. Um, and there isn't air. There's not room for air to go down anymore. And in the moments that I can't breathe, uh, a few thoughts go through my head. I was born with allergies. I'm allergic to nuts and fish, and my allergy to nuts is considered severe. So I've been told since I was a kid that I might eat nuts, have an allergic reaction that is severe, and my throat would, would close up, it's happening now, um, and I would die. And I thought after, you know, 25 years of living and having made some mistakes eating nuts that I had, this was not an experience I was going to have. But I realized in that moment that my living body would not leave that bathroom. And all of a sudden, a lot of things in my life just became very clear. I could see the future of my life that wouldn't happen the book I'd never write that nobody would read, the research papers I'd never finish. I wondered what my parents would think. I wondered what anybody would think. Would people say, oh, of course they died. They struggled with drugs and alcohol. It didn't feel like I had struggled with drugs and alcohol, but maybe it never does when it's happening. So I then had another thought. I remembered a time when I was in the third grade and I accidentally shot an EpiPen through my thumb. And it turns out EpiPens are actually just liquid adrenaline. That's what actually saves your life from an allergic reaction. And that, ep that epinephrine, that adrenaline got into me and I ended up running around the school, bouncing off the walls for like an hour, which was actually really fun. Um, but I realized adrenaline is what I need, and I thought, maybe I should panic. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it seems obvious in hindsight, but maybe I should panic. If nothing else, I'm not going to die in this bathroom, and I'm not going to die alone. So I run out of the bathroom. I'm screaming. I'm flailing my arms. I'm failing to make sound because, you know, air. Um, but I managed to catch the attention of my friend Peter, who follows me out onto the front lawn, and he smokes a cigarette and watches me rolling and flailing and doing somersaults and, you know, panicking. Um, and apparently this isn't that out of character for me, so he wasn't <laughs> that concerned. Uh, but I started to breathe. It worked. Um, and I, you already knew that this was going to happen. I mean, I'm here, so... Uh, <laughs> But Peter finally asked me, are you okay? What's going on? And I mean, I don't really know that I'm out of the woods yet. I'm thinking, okay, I'm about to eke out some words right now. You know, my throat's still not well. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, what if these are my last words? And so I look at Peter and I'm like, I love you, Peter. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so what happened here, right? Uh, some people here might be having an idea in their head, you know, Oh, were you still just on acid? 
Um, and it it turns out that I'm allergic to pork. I had not known this, uh, but it explained uh, over the past year a number of episodes that I had been having every time I ate pork, <laughs> which I don't eat that much of, so it took a little while to figure out. But that wasn't the biggest realization of that weekend. Uh, at the end of the weekend, my friend Alex used one of the first selfie sticks to take a group photo of everybody. Uh, and very symbolically, I was actually in the bathroom during this photo. Uh, so I'm not in it. Um, and my friends, who are very kind people, joked that that meant that I would die before the next reunion, which, of course, I didn't. Uh, I will never die. But what it meant to me was something else, which is that I am kind of an outsider, even within that community. I love those people absolutely wonderful and still close with them, but I've never been a bro, really. It's always been a costume. I've never even actually been a boy. And being an outsider amongst them, I realized, was a crutch. It was, in a way, a shot of adrenaline at a time when I really needed it. But following that, I realized that I didn't need that anymore. And it's given me the room to grow to be more of who I am. Thank you. Michael Tchaikovsky, everybody. I was gonna say their story was a trip, but that would be very cringe. Although, I may have just done that. Sorry. Head over to storyclutter.org to connect more with Michael. It's worth it. Being a storyteller on our stage is just one way to make story clutter happen, but if standing alone in the spotlight in front of an audience doesn't speak to you, maybe becoming a story clutter donor might be more your speed. Story clutter donors play a vital role in our ability to bring you this podcast. We're in this together. Story clutter is one big experiment that's designed to connect us around our love of discovery, curiosity, and the natural world. If you believe in the power these stories have and this mission, please donate to the Story Clutter at storyclutter.org slash donate. The most popular level is $10 a month, and you can make your tax-deductible donation at storyclutter.org slash donate. But really, any level makes a difference, and we're so grateful to everyone who supports Story Clutter. Our second star is from Dust Queen. Dust is a singer-songwriter and drag artist. They have produced and hosted over 250 drag shows, and they have written three drag musicals. As in so much of Dust's work, this story encourages, and yeah, I'll say it, challenges us to look at the world in a new way. Let's just say all those 90s dare anti-drug commercials didn't exactly paint a complete picture. Dust's story comes from us from the Fox Cabaret in Vancouver, BC. Here's Dust. I've always been kind of fat. My whole life, it's been different at times. I've been heavier, I've been thinner, but the long of the short of the story is that I've always kind of been fat and I'm okay with it now. And this is a story about that. When I was 22, um, I worked at a crystal store and the crystal store had a plethora of books. And I was quite the spiritual adventurist 
And I liked reading books about spiritual adventure because I felt like those books told me things about the world that I had never experienced and that I had a deep desire to experience. And I liked reading books about mushrooms and the people who came through our store were very unique. They liked mushrooms, they liked Burning Man, they liked going to festivals, they liked all of these adventure things. And I had never done any of it. Having a sheltered life, having low experiences, coming from a poor family. And I remember one summer, I told my friend Heather that I wanted to do mushrooms. And I had been reading Terence McKenna. And Terence McKenna was speaking about the hero's dose of psilocybin, which is five grams where you go in, you find a part of yourself, you reclaim it, you come back, whatever the story is for whoever's taking them. And I was fascinated by this. So Heather and I went out camping and I took five grams of mushrooms and I felt nothing, nothing. A little bit of wow with the, with the fire and the flames, but ultimately not this like epic journey of reclamation. And so I said to Heather, I said, there was a part in the book where Terrence says, that you could take 16 grams of mushrooms and it's like going to psychotherapy for four years. And I said, if five grams didn't do much, why don't we go have another trip in a couple of months and we take 16 grams each and just go for it. And she said, well, I've never taken 16 grams of mushrooms before. The most I've taken is maybe about eight. And it was at Shambhala. And I was like, okay, well, are you down? And she said, yes. And I love that. I love that Heather was down for the craziness. And having been someone who had gone to Shambhala and who had spent a lot of time in those communities, I thought, I think she's up for the task. And I, and I trust her because she's taken mushrooms, but I never factored in what could possibly happen when you take 16 grams of mushrooms. We proceeded to go to our little camping spot out in Treaty 7 territory in Mokinsis, just outside of Calgary in Kananaskis. And it was just about first frost. I would say we are just past it or just upon it. And we parked her, her camper van on this beautiful little semicircle campsite so that we had privacy on one side and the road on the other. And she got to brewing. We batched out the mushrooms, 16 grams in one pot and 16 grams in another. And just before she put the hot water on, she said, I'm going to take a little less. And I should have known. I had the opportunity to take less, but I had my mind set on the 16 grams. I wanted this experience. I wanted to feel what it felt like for those people that I was reading about in these books. I wanted the chaos. I wanted it so, so bad. So I said, go ahead, let's do the 16 grams. She brewed up the she brewed up the tea, separate pots, so that the dosing's accurate. For those of you who can't, you got to make sure you dose it properly. <laughs> you don't share a pot of mushroom tea. That just results in one person being ridiculously high and everybody else not so much. So we take our little cups of tea and we head down to the lake. And we're sitting there and I drink my tea. And I'm like, okay, five grams did nothing. Here comes 16 grams. Let's see what happens. And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, I don't think anything's happening. And it starts to lightly drizzle. And as the water falls on the water, all of a sudden I see concentric circles coming out of all the circles from the water droplets. And all of a sudden I can see the flower of life in the water. Everything is alive around me. And that's when I'm like, 
here we go. We should probably go back to the campsite because it's about to get very real. We proceed to take numerous hours to get back to the campsite. Could not tell you, but on our little journey, we saw mushrooms of all shapes and sizes. I saw mushrooms as big as me, as tiny, but they were everywhere, everywhere. It seemed like the, there weren't even any trees around us. It was just mushrooms. It was the wildest experience. And I'd read about that in, in, in Terrence McKenna's book, that when you take mushrooms, you interact with mushrooms and you see them in different dimensions and things evolve and, and reveal themselves to you. And so I was enjoying this, but I was also completely gooned, out of my mind, absolutely on some other plane of existence. We got to one part of the path where we were just about to our campsite and I had this epiphany clear as day and it was that shoes are the enemy so i proceeded to take my shoes off and throw them into the forest proclaiming myself free i was free from these these rubber soles that were keeping me from connecting me to my true home to my true being um i don't know if you've ever been to calgary area at first frost but that's no joke. The ground is cold. The air is dry and cold. It was rainy. My feet proceeded to get really, really cold. And so Heather, who was on a lower dose of mushrooms than me, took me to the camper van, put my feet in a bucket, proceeded to warm up water, and proceeded to dump hot water on my icy cold feet, which I don't know if you've experienced that before, but it feels like your entire soul is being torn apart by the fire of a thousand suns. It's excruciatingly painful. And then add on to that, that I'm 16 grams of mushrooms deep, alone in the woods with Heather, who is also X amount of grams deep, having to take care of me. As I'm sitting in the camper van, I'm looking out the door and I see in the forest a light and I can tell that it is a human shape and it's walking through the woods. And as it got closer, I could, I could make out that it was a human shape and it was glowing. It was looked like a person just backlit and they didn't walk beyond the forest area of our campsite. They stopped at the trees and they ushered, they ushered me over ushered as the the like beckoning to me to come to them and I was like cool great well we're here so let's go and I just walked to the edge of the forest and I remember the being putting its hand on my shoulder looking at me in the eyes and saying this thing in your abdomen needs to be removed it's not doing you any good I want to relieve you of this and I looked down and right out of my, out of my stomach was a spear and it was glowing. It was glowing bright yellow. And I remember I said, okay, why not? And I remember the spirit grabbing the spear and just pulling it out, just smooth. And I remember collapsing to my knees, screaming. I felt the most intense release. I felt everything fall apart and fall back together. If you've ever been on mushrooms, you know that feeling. And I remember not being able to lift my head and being in such an excruciating amount of pain and looking at the ground and I could, it was dark and I could see the light of this being drifting away until it was just dark. 
And then I felt Heather's hand on my shoulder and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, did you see that? Like that person just pulled a spear out of my abdomen. It was fucking wild. And she was like, no, <laughs> I didn't see that. She said, I saw you standing at the edge of the woods and then I saw you collapse. And I was like, okay, well, that's pretty intense. And she's like, yeah, very intense. She proceeded to put me to bed um, and proceeded to take care of me for the next couple of days as the mushrooms worked their way out of my system. When I reflected on that spiritual experience afterwards and specifically bringing the story to life for Story Collider, I realized a lot of my life after that point was significantly different. I realized that this is the part of my body that I was the most insecure about my entire life. I realized that this is also the part of my body that is the center of, of my power, my confidence. And when that spear was removed, it reversed and or cleared something in me that allowed me to move forward and be okay with the body that I was given. Be okay with it. I'm celebrated for body positivity now. It's something that I put forward because I believe that we need to accept and be where we are in the body that we're given, whether it's fat, whether it's thin. And I'm really grateful to whatever that spirit was, whether it was a movie playing out in my head or whether it was a real thing. Um, but I have never taken more than a gram of mushrooms since it's, it's been 10 years but i do microdose every day i like to just have a little bit of psilocybin with me at all times even if i'm not taking it i like having it with me because i like having the spirit around and i'm so grateful for mushrooms for showing me my personal power was dust if you'd like to learn more about them visit our website storycollider.org our website is just one way to connect with story collider but there are so many other ways and we hope you'll use all of them you can always follow us on social media we're on twitter facebook instagram and tiktok head to storycollider.org to become a financial supporter and if you want to attend a live show learn how to tell a science story or start your own story collider show in your community you can learn all about that on our website too this podcast is produced by me, Misha Gajewski, along with Nikisha Roberts-Washington, Jen Chen, and Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Emma Yarbrough, Kelly Vinyl, Josh Silberg, and Charlie Cook. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and staff, including Amory Lonsdale, Leslie Burnson, and Lindsay Cooper. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week, I'll be back with stories about failure. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.